Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 113 of the Brighton Rock podcast with me, Russell Guyver, with my co-host, Peter Marsh. Hey, Russ. How you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. And we swapped Andy's again this week. We've brought back in Andy Bravery um, for your whatever appearance of the season. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Um, we will, in this episode, be talking about the Leicester game. Albion crashing out, unfortunately, in dramatic late circumstances at um, the Leicester Stadium, uh, one goal to nil. We'll be getting into that. We'll talk on a few football news matters as well. Um, I think it was probably best summed up by Iheanacho, who scored the winner in the 94th minute of normal time, which therefore became the only time left. Um, he said something like, I really didn't fancy extra time. It was really cold. And that seemed to be his reason for scoring. Um, I can think of another reason he was able to score as well. But we'll get into that in due course. Um, guys, I mean, there's been, um, you know, a lot, a lot said about our, um, our form. It's turned around. The FA Cup, I think, getting through a couple of rounds and going out in the fifth round is respectability, I guess. And given that we still haven't quite got ourselves into the perfect position, are we generally not too fussed or are you gutted? Certainly gutted by the manner of defeats, but um, in terms of going out, is it is it all that? I suppose. I mean, yeah. I, before the game, and especially considering the team we put out, and I, I know both teams made seven changes, but one of, the, one of their changes was bringing in Jamie Vardy, and another one was bringing in Didi, and you know, it's that, whereas we were bringing in you know debutants and that sort of thing. So I don't think I was too fussed. But the manner we got knocked out, not just because of the lack of marking, but also because I think there was a handball in the ball up to the corner as well, which yeah. had not really made a lot of as well. Interestingly, surprisingly, because mm-hmm. Ian actually quite clearly in the end, but if you look at a replay, controls the ball with his hand in winning the corner, which Dean and the linesman should spotted so I don't quite know what they were doing at that time um, but hmm. yeah it, it was it, for the half hour after the game I was really gutted having after that but then I, on reflection I thought we they looked the stronger towards the end of the 90 minutes anyway so they probably would have gone through an extra time and we'd have had an extra half hour of the game to play before with, with Villa coming up at the weekend so in a way yeah, that, it, it, it kind of got hmm. it out of the way and sorted when it probably we probably would have gone out anyway I think. 
certainly if you have to lose, you'd rather do it in the 90 than the yeah. 120 plus pens as well. Um, on the handball matter, I think, yeah, it was, it was a slight handball. If it was directly leading to a goal, it would have been overturned on review, yeah. or it should be. Um, because unfortunately, it's a separate phase of play. I think that's why yeah, and they're I not going to look at the video. I find that really odd because obviously it led to a very quick corner. And, and I know it's yeah. the rules, but it led to a very quick corner, which then left, left us out of position. And then they scored from. So it's like, surely it is... You know, that is kind of a, you know, a, a direct leading to it, you know. So it's, yeah. Yeah, I it's find it odd a... that you can go back about a minute or whatever in normal play, but because they stopped for a very quickly taken corner that actually barely stopped play, it it, mm. it discounted the handball before. So it, it does seem odd because they do go back like a minute or something like that sometimes if, it, if they need to, if it's like directly involved in the attack, like the one where Bournemouth scored, I think, at Burnley a year or so ago, and then but then lost, got a penalty given against the other end initially. You know, that, that was a bigger gap between the incident and the goal. So I find, yeah, I, I find the way they're doing it slightly odd, but it's, yeah, it is what it is. And Yes, it's not the ideal scenario. I mean, for my, my side of it, I was, I was strangely blasé, not in an arrogant way, but it, or in a uh, not caring at all way, but fairly blasé about the game. And I sort of settled in and quite enjoyed it just as a footballing affair. I, I wasn't too um, emotionally engaged beyond the norm um and I, I was quite enjoying it i thought we played well i think we were probably the better side overall but um it was a good game from both sides they had a strong team out um but in the end but as we got to the sort of 75th 80th minute onwards i started to really feel the intensity of it and it did feel like a, just watching any of the league games where we've we've had a lot riding on it and um for me in the end yeah gutted particularly in the fashion that we we lost um andy what about yourself what did yeah, you think well <laughs> i was left bloody fuming actually I just thought to myself, that was just shocking defending. If that had been my under-10s, I would have been shouting at them. And it's like, and then I thought, well, I'm going to go on Twitter and the fans are going to be, um, you know, well, up for them. And this is the FA Cup. I want to win the FA Cup. I want us to win something. I go yeah. on there and it's like, oh, well, you know, we concentrate on the league. Um, you know, um, you know, it, it, we, 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 um, we didn't play too badly. We played okay. You know, these things happen. Whose fault is it? Is it Burns' fault? Is it Dunk's fault? And then you see that photograph and we got like, what, we've got 10 in the box and they've got Ian Acho. And I'm just thinking like, no, they're professional footballers getting paid millions of pounds to play football and they can't even mark one person in the box. They've switched off, you know. Yeah. And I think if that had been the league, then I think the fans would have been on, you know, Twitter completely and utterly um, in uproar about it. You know, everyone's blaming Burn again. Actually, Burn's the only one who got anywhere near him. You know, and mm. I was like, I know I want to win the FA Cup. I don't care that it's, it might be the one year we could win it and not actually be there to watch it. Let's win it first and then worry about that after. But there you yeah, go. I, I mean, I, I, agree I, like with you yeah. I like the way we played. I mean, I thought they, even with the changes, they, you know, they got, they've got a stronger squad than us. But it showed that we could... You know, we could match, we could we could compete with them over 90 minutes. We looked solid until that last minute or so. I agree with Pete that and yourself that um, the second half they they were you know they were they were looking the more dominant side. But you go into extra time and not many games get settled in extra time and it would have been down to penalties. And, you know, why not us? Just don't give one to more pay and 
we might be all right on the penalty front. <laughs> I thought in that basis, honestly, it's, they, they finished stronger. Madison changed the game in that sense. He, yeah. he he was a difference as he was in the league game as well. I mean, he was brilliant there, and he added that touch of class that they didn't really have before that. And also, some people have pointed out that Lalana went off for us as well, and we kind of lost Lalana at Lalana, and that kind of, yeah. and understandably because he hasn't played a full game for a while, and we don't, wanna, and we may need him at the weekend. So. Yeah, I understand why he went off, but we kind of... And that's been my problem with Lalana actually, all the time he's been here. He's not really lasted a full 90, and every time we, he goes off, he's so crucial to how we're playing the game that we then lose the game. Whereas since he's been injured, we haven't, we've had to plan without him, so we haven't had the impact of him going off quite so badly, you know, because he mm. hasn't been there. And so we've been practising without him, and so it's not been a problem. But it happened again last night that we lost, lost control of midfield after he went off. Yeah, I'll go yeah. along with that. Yeah, yeah. And what Andy said about the cup, yeah, I absolutely wanted us to win it. And I agree with you. The fact that fans wouldn't be able to go, almost almost certainly, um, it would be a big blow, but it wouldn't have been the be-all and end-all. I'd still rather win the cup whenever, mm. you know. it's uh, it, it felt like, for me, I think that the lethargy I felt before the game was more a case of expecting that we weren't going to win it. And I think as the game wore on, I thought, this is a really good game. I'm enjoying it. Once it got towards the end, I, th- I thought, well, hang on. Well, you know, just one goal here. We nick it. Um, suddenly we're in the quarters. And if we happen to get a favourable draw from what's left, a Sheffield United or a Southampton or something, you know, whoever was in the mix at the time as we were playing our game, um, you you'd start to think, yeah, well, why not? You know, we could get there. City could get knocked out by United. We could be United, something like that. So I was I was certainly up for it, and I was gutted we we didn't get there in the end um, into the next round. But the, the defending, you're right, it was ridiculous. I think there was eight people photographed in the box. None of them were marking uh, Iannaccio, and um, ultimately Byrne was the one who who was quickest to on the uptake, but he was still caught wrong sided and scrabbling about to try and get there, and it was all a really ineffectual effort. I think he could have done a bit more, maybe tried to attempt to get round the front side of him. Um, once he realised the danger, um, maybe he could have done more. But yeah, as a collective, they let themselves down big time, didn't they? There, um, it was I'll ridiculous honest, defending. I'm going to slightly disagree with the two of you there. On from my point of view, I, I actually would have been a lot more pissed off if I'd travelled up to Leicester on a Wednesday night and we'd lost one nil to that goal in the 94th minute with a chance of going to the quarterfinals if we if fans had been there. I, I actually wasn't that bothered about the FA Cup this year. It, it didn't. It wasn't. It wouldn't have been the same to be in a final in an empty stadium. The sec- second time in our history, potentially, if we'd won it as well, you know, it wouldn't have been the same for me. I'd rather we focus on the league at the moment, and then hopefully in future seasons, if we can start off better, we can focus more on the cups. But I, yeah, I, it would have been weird from my point of view to be in a final without being there or in a semi-final or whatever. And you know, it's it's it would have been a real. Yeah, a pity for from the point of view of football, and I, yeah, I think it's getting to the stage where we're not going to be back at games this season, or certainly not more than a couple of thousand people at most. So it would have been a, a very odd experience to to be at Wembley with like four thousand fans or something, you know. So yeah, I, it would have I, been I, so Albion though, wouldn't it, for us to get to the final yeah, that year? It would. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and also I think there were so many good teams left that actually I'd rather be playing. I think it's Newcastle we're playing on the 20, on the weekend of the quarterfinals potentially mm. if Newcastle. If we won, we wouldn't have played Newcastle after international break. Now, as it sounds, they might have people like Wilson back by then. Whereas actually playing them when we do play them, they might still have their injuries that they've got now. So it actually might well work out okay. So I was looking up who we were playing on quarterfinal day, and I think it's Newcastle home. 
So oh, right, that's interesting. Might point. actually work yeah, out better yeah. in that sense. Whereas yeah. if we play them after what would be an international break coming up after that, then they might have had other players back. So, ironically, it might work yeah, out better. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that at all. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know, um, Newcastle have got um, Callum Wilson's out with a bad hamstring injury, maybe even need surgery. I'm not sure, but it's six to eight weeks, I think he's going to be out for. Um, Shah went off with um, a knee injury. Um, he's going to be out for an estimated period of something similar. And a third player who went down uh, was name has escaped uh, me. Mankio. Oh, yeah, yeah, the defender. Oh, yeah, Mankio, yeah. yeah. And he's, he's done something to his ankle. Um, which They're again, all out for a six to eight weeks, aren't they? Time, yeah, which is obviously great news for us in terms of when we play them. Um, particularly if we've still got some of our key players injured. It's only only fair in love and war, isn't it? If we've got Solly out, yeah. if Lamptey's still out, if, you know, Lalana will probably be injured again by then. <laughs> you know, and well back, you know. yeah. And well, Beck. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. Well played there, sir. Um, yeah, the other, the other interesting bit I was going to say was I looked yeah, ahead ahead. and I think from memory we're playing Chelsea semi-final day and Man City final day. So we may well have two games rearranged out of those because there's a fair chance uh, that Chelsea yeah. will be in the semi-finals and Man City will be in the final. Um, hopefully it will be immaterial to us by that yeah, point. We'll hopefully. see. Um yeah, I was going to say, in terms of the lineup for the cup match, then Leicester started with Ward in goal. They had a Marty, Sancho, and Justin in a back three. Um, middle um, middle four, really, of Daly Campbell. Daly Campbell, was it? I think that's right. Um, and Didi, Tillemans, and Thomas. And up front, they had Under, um, I think it's pronounced, Vardy and Perez. Vardy making his return from injury. Um, but we kept him quiet for the old 65 minutes, was it, that he was on the pitch? Um, 62 minutes, I think. Uh, replaced, of course, by the eventual match winner, Ian Achu. And we had Walton in goal, which was what most people thought was going to happen. Back three, pretty much first-teamers, really, wasn't it? It was White, Duncan, Burn in We didn't really have any choice goal. with that, I don't think, did we? Barring exactly. Belton, there wasn't really any other option. Exactly. And the speculation was going to be about Kabovnik and Alzate, if they were going to start, and they did, uh, in the wing-back roles. Kabovnik on the right-hand side, even though he's been playing a lot on the left, for his club and country, I think. Alzati on the left side, which we've discovered in this match that he can do to a decent level, uh, which was good to see. Grosh, Lalana and Moda um, starting in the middle. So Moda's debut for us, and I thought it was a good one. We'll get into that in a moment. And Tao and Zakiri in the more forward roles. Um, I mean, first of all, with the debutants there, Kabovnik and Moda, the Polish lads, um, I thought... Really good. I, I was really impressed with them. What, what did you think, guys? I mean, Moda, first of all, we, although I'd seen him play a few times on TV, um, he seemed to be taller than I remembered him, uh, which was a bit surreal. I, I think he's six and, foot four, isn't he? He's like massive. Yeah, I think it's it's probably just a, a trick of the memory. I've, I've probably seen that and then just forgotten how tall he was. But yeah, he's, he's a big lad and he got stuck in a bit and he looked very competent, very composed and he looked quite calm and accomplished, I thought. And, and also, similarly, Kabovnik, I think, especially... In that role, he played for the majority of the game on the right wing back. And also he swapped later on in the game, didn't he, as well? He looked equally at home in both roles. Um, he looked very composed for a young lad. Um, and I think it was him that caused, that got the interception after a lot of good pressing late in the game at one point, which led to Grosh um, setting up a possible chance. Um, so, you know, some some good play all round. Well, what did you guys make of the debutants and, and the individual performances overall? Zakiri being another one of note. 
Or should I go? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, go thought, I thought Moda was pretty solid. He didn't do anything spectacular, but he, he was just kind of, yeah, for a debut at 21 or whatever in the first game in a, well, not Premier League, but the first game in a English football, he looked pretty solid, pretty decent. Karbovnik, I was really impressed with. I thought he started a bit slowly, but he grew into the game yeah. really well. In the second half, he made two or three really good runs that were a bit reminiscent of a, of a Tarek Lamptey when he first came in and kind of, they couldn't really deal with him. He beat a couple of players and, you know, he didn't quite have the final ball at times, but, you know, he's, 19 isn't he so and playing on the wrong flank quite a lot of the game as well so I, I was really impressed mm. with him the other the other one that stood out I thought Tao was a bit disappointing but Zakiri looked really good and although yeah. I think his goal was clearly offside and I didn't actually celebrate it took it really well which is encouraging so that's hopefully he can do that when it actually counts at some point um he looked a lot better a lot further up the pecking order than Tao I'd say and on a one game basis yeah, he looked more dangerous, a little bit more yeah. um, directly involved, didn't he? Good dink for the for the disallowed finish as well. Um, Andy, would you go along with that? Yeah, and well, yeah. I mean, I think Kabovnik looked very um, very comfortable on the ball. Seemed to read the game well. He was, he, he, you know, mm-hmm. he seemed to get himself um, into a, an advanced position to make tackles and close people down at um, quite short notice. Um, I agree, Moda, he wasn't spectacular, but he didn't do much wrong, wrong and he looked very comfortable on the ball. Um, in terms of the guys up front, yeah, Percy Tell, I'm, 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 I don't know. I, I, I'm not, it's too, it's too early to write him off, but he is, hmm. he's 27. I think he's probably suffering from the fact that, you know, we still don't score enough goals and in he comes and we've been talking about him for three or four years and I think some fans as is often the case, you know, they, they think that it's all about a silver bullet and he's going to be the solution. And then when it turns out that actually he might need a while and he might not be quite as good as people thought he was because what, the, you know, what they've seen is him playing for South Africa or in the um, Belgium league. Um, you know, everyone then completely writes him off. I'm kind of in the mm. middle. I've not seen enough at the moment to tell me that we've got something special there, um, but he might be able to do us a job. Sakiri's a lot, and, and you know, but the fact he's 27, you know, you, you haven't got so long to work with, really. These are his best years, so you know. But I think you've got to give the guy a season or two. Um, Sakiri, yeah, I like the look of him in many ways. Actually, he's busy. He puts himself about. He's, he's definitely got quick feet. Um, and it was a, I mean, although it was offside, it was a lovely finish. I mean, it was a really lovely finish. Reminiscent of the um, the Welbeck one against Villa. The, um, yeah. you know, just, yeah. you know, the fact yeah. that at that age to have the calmness to do that is pretty impressive. Yeah, and he looks like he plays with quite a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, I was really, I was really pleased with him. Um, yeah, and then I think, you know, it's interesting because obviously, um, I, I think that Lalana and Gross, when they play in the middle together, we we keep the ball really well. We might not be as quite as dynamic with those two, but actually, there's a lot that they bring they bring to the game and then you can vary that with Basuma. So um, I thought we looked, I thought we looked good all over the park, um, you know, against a team that's, that's full of really good players. Yeah. yeah as we read out, it was a strong, strong lineup, wasn't it Leicester? And we were always going to be up against it a little bit. Um, I mean, a couple of other observations for me, I thought, um, I think it probably Graham was a bit sort of stuck between one thought and another in terms of subs, because I think Lalana was flagging for a fair while before he did come off. And in the ideal world, I think he, he would have come off on the hour, possibly even slightly before that. In the end, he was subbed by who we thought he would be, uh, Basuma, uh, on 79 minutes. Of course, the consideration is the extra 30 minutes. And they, I think 
Graham, I suspect, was uh, keen not to uh, to use Biss too much um, with a view to the weekend. Um, so, you know, bringing him on in the 79th minute was theoretically, you know, 40 minutes of play, which is kind of just more or less a half. Um, the other thing was, um, I think also Percy Tao, I remember talking to Raymond, I was, I was watching the game on a, a Zoom chat with him, um, and he was talking about how Tao was flagging, because he, he uh, mentioned Tao earlier. Yeah, I think he's got a lot of enthusiasm and purpose and the right attitude, and we'll see how he settles in. In terms of this game, he did he did run himself into the ground, as the security did as well. And I think Tao was flagging somewhat towards the end, and I thought he might have been somebody that gets subbed. Uh, Raymond thought it should have happened sooner. Um the, yeah, the fact that he that... wasn't brought off and Malpe brought on suggests we weren't that weren't that desperate to be honest to go through in a way, you know, to just yeah. we weren't willing to really go for it. Yeah, or Welbeck even interestingly, but he didn't even do that. Yeah, yeah. I thought Welbeck um, would have needed to, needed minutes, but I mean, anyway. I I think I would have put Welbeck on actually because I think he's he's the better hold up player I would imagine of yeah. the two. And the one issue that I did have with with what happened was. Um, the, the ball forward right near the end, I think it was about two and a half minutes, two minutes into him, stoppage time. Um, there was a board, there was a clearance and Tao had one touch on it. It got intercepted, eventually led to what we, and what we saw at the end. Um, if he'd have just hoofed that further forwards and then run onto it, press them, force them to restart again, or it goes into touch, or even he's able to run onto it and do better with it. Obviously, great. Maybe it was a tired touch. Um, he gave the ball away. He's, he's not great at that generally, though. I remember that mm. Leeds game. He came on about 20 minutes left away from home and we were holding on. And I think he failed to hold it up about three or four times and kind of take, you know, control it and keep it, keep it yeah. under control and, and win, a, you know, a free kick or a throw on or whatever. He lost it yeah. and it went straight back in and we were under a bit of pressure in that game, although obviously we did hold on. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, yeah, he doesn't seem the most intelligent player in terms of mm. like game management. I mean, that might just be a bit of a lack of experience at the top level. Yeah, because yeah. we could have certainly seen that out. Again, I know we, in a way we don't want the extra 30 minutes anyway, but if we are trying to win the game, we could easily have seen that out, I felt. Well, um, in a way, that was another reason to have gone with Mopé and, and Welbeck with 20 minutes left to try and not get extra time to really go for the game and try and win yeah. it, you know, in, in 90 rather than, you know, and if we'd, we'd lost going for it in 90 minutes on the 90th minute and they'd counterattacked and scored, I would, I'd have been much happier than the way we did win it, which was lose it, which is what sitting back. And actually yeah. the last 10, 15 minutes, we yeah. didn't really offer much going forward, I thought. That's right. And we had, we had the option of five subs um, plus an extra one if yeah. there was extra time. We did use Velt when he came on on 71 for White and McAllister 79 minutes with Pesuma. McAllister coming on for Alzate, technically speaking. Um, but on the subs bench, we also had Connolly um, speaking of um, forwards. Mm. So we actually had three forward options there. And so all the players been... who, yeah, had wanted to, would have needed a goal. Actually, he was probably high on the list. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I didn't notice was Mike Dean. I forgot he was raffing. Maybe that's a good sign. Um, I think it is a good sign. For, yeah. For, for, except for um, that handball, there wasn't really a great deal to do yesterday, was yeah. there? And you could you could understand that being missed as well uh, without video replay. To be honest, um, it was it was easy to miss. I think to be fair. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was about it really in terms of the game. In terms of the incidents within I, the game, um, I mean first half was there anything in particular that stood out? I just thought there was a lot of good general play. No, I mean um, there were no shots, really on, shots target on target until quite there? late, were there? Mm. My, my, yeah, that's my, right. My interesting one was I, I, it was the two disallowed goals. Now our one I thought was clear, and obviously they showed one replay and it looked clear. I thought that one was quite tight, and I thought it was going to go on a number of different replays and draw their lines across and all that. And they actually just went straight through with it and disallowed it straight away, and I was quite surprised by that because it wasn't as obvious as our disallowed goal. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, Normally, they they draw their lines and take half an hour over it. And yeah, and you could tell with the security's goal that that was going to be off. It's just something about it you just knew. It was only if there was someone on the on the flank or something that we hadn't seen or something. You never quite tell on TV, but on the Leicester one. Yeah, Mm. but. No, on our one, sorry. Mm. On, oh, on our one, sorry. Yeah, there was yeah. someone playing him on side. But yeah, I mean, other than that, yeah. we, it, you could tell he was ahead of the, the defence when he first went through. Yeah, yeah. And with Leicester's one, I, I just thought, I don't know whether that is or not. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I thought they the would, decision. you know, we'd be agonising for like two minutes over it. But actually, they were quite, <laughs> they were quite quick over it, to be fair. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, aside from that, some good bits of play here and there throughout the match, some good performances in general, some good teamwork. We looked, we looked hungry, we looked efficient, we looked um, bright, uh, snappy passing, back to some of the good stuff we did earlier on. And, um, yeah, I think a good performance overall. Um, Andy, any other elements you'd pick out apart from the goal, which uh, we've kind of already covered? Um, I suppose um, because he played 80 minutes, and uh, I'm talking about Lallana now, I'm wondering yeah. whether he's going to start on um, Saturday. Because, actually, one of the things about the Burnley game was when he... And it kind of gets over the bit about the 90 minutes that Pete was talking about. Was when he came on against Burnley. That's when we finally closed the game out for the draw. Yeah. And I wonder whether um, he might be used like that going forward a bit more. You know, where we are, <laughs> you know, not starting, and when we're when we're doing well, just bringing him on in the last 20 minutes, just trying to keep the ball and close the game out, rather than starting yeah. trying to get him to play 90 minutes. Be interesting. Yeah, yeah he did that at, against Tottenham and Anfield as well, didn't he? Um, for both games, he did yeah. that. I mean, um, clearly, McAllister, Basuma and, and Grosha are going to be hard to leave out at the moment. And the fact that two of those three didn't start tells you that they're likely to start yeah. in the next game, whether Grosh does or not. I don't Gr- know. Grosh what an engine is, he, Yeah. He, he's, he's the only one. engine on him, isn't he? He and Duncan are the only two players to have played every all 90 minutes of all four yeah. games in the last, well, what will be like 10 days or whatever it is. So 12 days. So I wonder yeah. whether Grosh might not start at the weekend just because, you know, Maybe I, mean, I mean, they'll, they'll been, do um, I think Potter's been praising him in the in the press today. Yeah, sure. putting on that, mm. you know, and um, mm. and yeah, and I, and I think he's been playing really well for us. But he's always been someone who covers a lot of ground, hasn't he? Yeah, he's often been the sort of like you know the the player who sort of gets twelve, thirteen kilometers a game. And you don't really think yeah. of that because he's not that quick, so you don't really think of him covering that much ground. But no. yeah, he's deceptive, isn't he? Kind of. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, finally on the on the game, I mean, it's time for cliche of the day. And last time we had the agricultural challenge, of course, which again, of course, was Burnley player. Um, last night it was a case of a bad time to concede. Uh, usually in our case, and in most cases, it's something like just before half time that they're referring to. Um, in this case, of course, it was right at the end because it's gutting. Having said that, it's in some ways, as we've already discussed, maybe not such a bad time to concede. Um, certainly better than two minutes into extra time followed by 30 minutes of toil in vain or something like that but um yeah it's, it always makes me laugh those ones good times and bad times to score and concede um what's that all about <laughs> is there a bad time uh, to uh, or is there a good time to concede i don't think there really is is there <laughs> no they were well also they kind of like say just before half time i always think the worst time to concede is just just after half time yeah you've done all your organization at least if you do it yeah. just before half time you can reorganize at half time and sort yourself out and try and you know kind of get yourself together but if you do it just after half time you've had all these plans all this hard work and it's like oh <laughs> or just after the start <laughs> as well yeah indeed but so the there we go well... it's definitely not a good time it's not, it's not, is it? No, no it's not. Unless um, you're five up already. <laughs> you're okay. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, uh, just one other point in part one of the pod here. Um, a bit of feedback, actually. We had quite a bit quite of um, nice feedback in relation to recent episodes, and in particular, of course, the Mark Lawrence episode, which had um, a really high listenership and lots of... Uh, Lots of enjoyment came from various quarters on that front. So thanks to everyone for getting in touch on that matter. Um, and on the same subject, um, Nick Schapanek, the journalist, football football fan, Albion fan, and football journalist and writer of the book Brighton Up, amongst other things, uh, who we had on the show a few weeks ago. He is a regular listener, I believe, and um, he got back in touch having listened to the Lauro podcast. Um, he'd emailed me and he's given permission to read this out. He said... Um, that the Italian restaurants that Lauro mentioned in the pod, um, for anyone that wants to know, was Al Forno in East Street. Mm. Uh, the waiters had a team, and Nick says he used to play against them in Preston Park most Sundays. Des Lynham was a friend of the owner who had played for Napoli, apparently, and would come to watch Peter O'Sullivan and Eric Steele, who both guested for them. Um, and on, he went on to say, and, and I asked him about the Napoli player, um, and um, he said, if I'll just find it, um, that, yeah, the Napoli player was called Dino Azzarone. He also owned Al Duomo in Pavilion Gardens, uh, sorry, Pavilion Buildings, um, and worked with Pietro and Sue Addis at one point, who, of course, connections with uh, Donatello, I assume that is, isn't it? Mm. Uh, he'd been a youth team player with Napoli, but had to retire early through injury and went to work for the Italian Trade Commission in London before setting up his restaurants. But he still had the most sublime first touch I've ever seen, says Nick. A lovely guy. He had a season ticket at the Goldstone, West Stand, but died of a heart attack while um, a while back. His funeral at the church on the corner of Preston Drove and Surrenden Road was like a scene from The Godfather, he says. <laughs> so that was excellent. Um, and he went on to say that Clemente, who Lauro mentioned in the pod, uh, was his head waiter from Alforno. Um, his head man... Um, at El Duomo, now runs Casa Don Carlos, which people may know is in the lanes. And a few of his old crew run La Campanina just off St. James's Street, where you can still get a fantastic calzone. By the way, I do love a calzone myself. Quality stuff. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's good. I asked Nick if we could read that out. He said yes. But he did say um, some clarifications from those earlier correspondents. He said there was only Al Forno when Loro was, was in town. Al Duomo came later. And he also said Eric Steele guested with their team, not as a goalkeeper, actually, but as a forward. And he also said Sully played in his normal street clothes and was still 10 yards faster than anyone else and about 15 yards faster than me, he says. <laughs> so so good little feedback there from Nick. Thanks for that. That's really, I love embellishing these stories and getting further info. And uh, I guess I should try and pass that on to Lauro if I get the chance as well and, uh, and fill him in on a couple of those details of, uh, of lost memory from his time in, in Brighton. So, so that was great. And thanks again, as I said, to everyone who's got in touch about the podcast and others. Um, we really love to hear your feedback. And if you have, can spare the time and you are involved with listening to these podcasts on Apple, then please do hit subscribe. Do hit the five-star buttons for the reviews. It helps with our rankings and all that jazz. And um, also just write a review if you want. Apparently it doesn't matter what people write as long as they write stuff. So you can, you can be you can be honest or you can praise us, whichever you prefer. <laughs> um, on that matter, we'll finish the first part. What we'll do in part two, we've got a few bits of footy news and items to discuss, um, any other notices, and we'll have a quick look at the Villa game, which is, of course, the next on the agenda this coming weekend. We'll be back in just a moment.
So, yeah, football news then, guys. Um, there's been quite a bit going on again, as usual, this week. And as usual, unfortunately, even more of a stream of racist abuse happening, including last night, which, as we're speaking, is is Wednesday night, when Swansea were playing uh, Man City, City winning the cup match up there 3-1. Um, but a Swansea City player being abused, Andrew, I think his name is, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure who by exactly. I haven't seen the highlights yet, so I don't know if he did something wrong and it, yeah, infuriated some racist Swansea fans. I'm not sure what's happened there, but that's one of a number of incidents that have happened again. And the pressure's really building, isn't it, now on the social media networks to really get their act together. Um, there was a statement by Instagram saying something really powder puff about, yes, we're going to really clamp down and start telling people off or something. Words to that effect, I'm paraphrasing. But today, uh, Twitter and Facebook have been approached and told the wording on BBC website um, to accept responsibility for preventing abuse and to go further than you have promised to go to date. This amid uh, on uh, you know, continued online abuse. The report on the BBC site says some football uh, football's governing bodies have written a joint letter to Swiss to, to sorry not Swiss to Twitter boss Jack um, Dursey. Dorsey and to Facebook founder Mark Zutterberg, of course, we all know will be very accommodating. Um, they've set out steps they want enforced on the platforms. The quote is The reality is your platforms rem- remain havens for abuse. Your inaction has created the belief in the minds of the anonymous perpetrators that they are beyond reach. The relentless flow of racist and discriminatory messages feeds on itself. The more it is tolerated by Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, platforms with billions of users the more it becomes normal accepted behavior the targets of abuse should be offered basic protections and we ask that you accept responsibility for preventing abuse from appearing on your platforms and go further than you have promised to go to date Uh, the letter by the way was signed by a number of um, significant bodies the premier league the english football league the efl uh, the women's professional game the uh, League Managers Association, um, the Professional Game Match Officials Board, uh, the Professional uh, Footballers Association and the anti-discriminatory charity Kick It Out, of course, uh, were also joined on that. Uh, the letter went on, we write to ask that for basic, uh, reasons of basic human decency, you use the power of your global systems to bring this to an end, it says. Um, and I think... Um, Ultimately, the, the general discussion continues to go on about how um, they should be using driver's license, passports, whatever, to have accountability for whoever's got the account. And obviously, if the person using the account isn't the account holder, then those account holders have got to be more astute and more wary uh, for fear of getting into trouble. That's the general premise of it. Um, it really does have to stop it. It is becoming, as we said on the last pod, pretty much a daily event now which is utterly ridiculous. Um, and lots of people are speaking out strongly on it, and, and rightly so. Um, I, I mean, the, the fact that I don't know of any um, black players, or ex-players, pundits, um, or people even in the media who haven't been subjected to abuse, where I've heard any information either way, it's always been confirmation that they have. So it really is getting crazy. We'll see what the response is from those various um, social media outlets and see, see what the... Uh, see what the next step is but it's not great is it um I, guys i don't know we've, we've commented on it a number of times i don't yeah. know if you've got anything to add at this I mean, stage not, not really I, I fear that this sort of thing won't happen until governments actually start pushing this sort of thing through rather than uh, football authorities i doubt 
Facebook and Twitter will care yeah. much what the you know football authorities think. I think it's the right thing they need to do it and it needs to be said, but I just don't see them making yeah. much much by way of change people... until government starts start saying to them, you need to talk it out. Yeah, and people boycotting the social media platforms, I don't think does anything, but just deprives the person themselves of of being able to enjoy it, have yeah. other elements of it. And they're not going to really make a mark, are they? There's billions no. of users, as they said, on these platforms. And whether they're famous people or not, it's probably neither here nor there to them, unless you're talking absolutely huge percentages of famous people coming off. Yeah. I don't see they'll care either way, will they? No. Um, and the more people unless who there's leave, repercussions. And the more people who aren't racist leave those channels in a way, the more the population of Facebook and Twitter is populated by racists. You know, it's like, if you see what I mean, it kind of like the, the fewer people there are who are decent everyday people on there because they're boycotting as well, then, yeah. you know, the population in, on, of Facebook and Twitter mm. suddenly becomes more of a haven for for people yeah. who are actually, yeah. you know, have values. In a way, people standing up to these people is the best way of doing it. Staying on these channels and standing up to, you know, the racist mm. assholes is yeah. is the best way to do it. But on the other hand, of, Twitter and Facebook do of, need to act. Yeah, a lot of people have spoken very well about the subject. So we, I think Marcus Rashford weighed in with something recently. Obviously, Raheem Sterling in the past and Anton Ferdinand on the documentary. There's various others. Ian Wright's been quite good and Alex Scott as well with what they've said. And Clinton Morrison, who's who's very animated on the subject, is a very passionate subject for him. He's mentioned it quite a few times. Um, Steve Bruce also added something, I think, today on his press conference, Newcastle manager, talking about how vile he finds all of that stuff and how it's unacceptable that his players and others um, should have to be subjected to it. Um, the problem, of course, being that you can't really... This this is the issue. Is it's about getting filters on, which I think was also something that was mentioned in the in the open letter about if you could get a way to filter um, any abusive terms, um, you know, it, it could be easily done, can't it? Just having word filters on things just to stop certain things bouncing in, so it at least kind of acts as a um, a net to fish most of that crap out, and for anything that does slip through, or people using pictures or other ways to bypass it. Um, then you can you can resort to uh, to legal measures. That's how it should be. Anyway, moving on from that rather grim subject, um, but we felt we had to flag it up. Other matters and um, salary caps. Apparently, the EFL have reverted back to the previous salary cap system. Um, people weren't it wasn't sitting well with some of the clubs. Apparently, I don't know too much about that, but it's interesting. There's a move going on there. More interestingly, um, the National League. It's a right old mess with what's gone on there because. They're classed as elite because that's the way they wanted to to have it in order to fulfil the the previous season. This year, there's been a a pause period um, and then an agreement was made that there was going to be grants, or at least that's what was thought, um, to help with the clubs to allow them to continue the season. It it was on that basis, I think, they agreed to move forward with the beginning of this season. Subsequently, it now transpires that this is now going to take the shape of loans which has caused fury amongst a number of club owners and directors who were under no such impression that that was going to be the case. Some of the clubs have subsequently said they're okay with that, and that's caused some ruptures. And there's been some rather unsavoury exchanges between owners and directors of various clubs. Um, I know that uh, having to Waterlooville, who've got um, the former Sutton manager as their head honcho there, Certainly on the on the playing on the managing side, I think possibly he's got a directorship. I'm not sure. I've forgotten his name. Um, Paul Daw Daw something. I think it is, isn't it? He, but apparently, the having to Waterlooville chairman and his wife, various members of staff, had a really bad bout of it. They're asking for things to 
to being clarified and sorted sooner based on the fact that this is real. Some some owners are claiming it's still a hoax or vastly exaggerated. It's it's all turned rather unfortunately mm. nasty. Um, and it's in a bit of a mess at the moment. So I do feel for all the clubs trying to act in good faith in that division. Have you picked up anything of this, Peter, with your Barnet hat on? Not a great deal, um, bits of it. I haven't really heard about the conflicts and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's a bit of a bit of a mess down there. And yeah, I mean, obviously Barnet, from Barnet's point of view, I think it's sort of, we know what they would want probably, I thought, but who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think the big problem at that level is the number of games left. The sheer number of games left in that division. Some teams mm. have got to play. It's just mad, yeah. and I suppose it's going to like yeah. It needs to, everything needs to be sorted out and confirmed. And well, after those dowdy notes and um, and grim subjects, we'll, we'll gradually build it back up to a cheerier conclusion as we work our way through the rest of the news. Um, just talking about. Um, well, we're actually, there's one one other bit of news we should mention. Keith Curl and Paul Tisdale were sacked, so we should get that out of the way first. Um, Curl at Northampton, Tisdale at Bristol Rovers. I mean, it's one extreme to the other for him because he he had um, about 123 years in charge at Exeter, didn't he, uh, as manager. He had one of the longest serving managers. I, th- I think, joking aside, I think it was something like a decade in charge there. And it really is one extreme to the other. He hasn't give, been given much time at Bristol Rovers. I think he would benefit from that. I think they would be wise to have given him a bit more time, but they were in some pretty bad form. And there is the threat of relegation hanging over them. So um, so he's gone. Keith Curl did have a fairly good stint at Northampton. He did get them into the playoffs last season, but they have been struggling all throughout this year. So, um, or this season, I should say. So those, those two have gone. I think I've got a feeling Keith Curl's been in charge longer than Grant Potter, so he may have moved up the rankings a little bit more. I'm not quite sure about that. Um, Brentford, a team who are sticking with their manager, Thomas Frank, I do rate him. I think he's a great manager. They're on a run of 21 games unbeaten, a steady, if unremarkable start. They've gone into overdrive, uh, doing really well now. Um, the latest win just being last night, 3-1 win at Medeski Stadium against Reading. Uh, Tony amongst the goals, he's back on form. And in general, they're scoring loads. I think seven, four and three in the last three games. Top of the table due to Norwich's dip in form. Um, Peter, they're coming up this year, aren't they? They're doing what they do every season is they've sold one or two players in the summer, struggle a bit at first as they get new players in that kind of then have a take a while to settle and then hitting form. And, you know, some years it's been a bit later if they've been top six. But this year they do seem to be. Yeah, I I mean, I think we discussed it before the show. It looks like two of Swansea, Brentford and Norwich. And there's been some interesting signings, you know, uh, certainly Swansea's signing of Hurahan from Aston Villa in January was a really good signing. And I think he yeah. scored within about in his first game for them. I mean, it, it, Villa, uh, Dean Smith, despite Villa's form, was on record to say he didn't want to let him go, but he was he wanted first team football. So, I mean, that tells you how, I mean, given how well Villa are doing, the fact that their manager didn't want to let him go tells you all you need to know about how good Hurahan is. So it might be Norwich miss out, possibly, after the being mm. on top for so long. Possible. Um, I do think Norwich are very well run. There's, there's some good articles in The Athletic this week, actually. One of them was about the Albion to do with Jahambach and depth charts, which is all to do with, um, you know, the strength and depth and who's in which priority position across the team. Um, but the, the one that was um, about Norwich was um, featuring Stuart Webber, who's their chief executive, who I rate very highly. And I suspect Tony Bloom does. You know, we have this 
contingency plans mm. throughout across he, the board. And I, he was at Huddersfield, wasn't he? When he wasn't he part of the reason Huddersfield went up? He was like behind yeah, their, their right. rides. That's right, exactly. And he and he's done very well at Norwich. He's been with them in their previous ascendancy, and and they they worked it on tight budget. So going down was no shame really on anyone. Last season, they're doing the right thing. They've stopped with the same manager, trying to Sean Dyche it by bouncing back up. Um, and kept most of their like, players as well, Norwich. They, I mean, yeah. The surprise was the likes of Buendia and Aarons and Cadwell yeah. all stayed, which I think most people thought that was at least some of those would go. I think it was, was yeah, it only Jamal Lewis who went in the, who left in the summer? There was, there was two. There was Lewis and there was... Um, oh, Godfrey ben was Godfrey, the other one, yeah. Who went to Everton, didn't he? Oh. Yeah. And ultimately, they've, they've, they've basically, they've absorbed any changes quite nicely because there haven't been many of them. Yeah. They're well run and they've, they've got a focus on what they're doing. And I think certainly the same of Brentford. I think it's probably true of Swansea again now. Mm. Um, those three are fighting out for the two spots. Certainly, I think it's going to be two from those three. Um, I've been watching a few of their games. It's all good quality football. Swansea mm. have managed to start snuffing teams out at the other end much like we've been doing in recent weeks to, to a large degree. And I think that's been the key to their success. Brentford are just a team that will score a lot of goals. But I do think they've also um, they've, they've tightened up in the other direction as well. And Norwich, I just think they're just much of the same. So I think they've given themselves a good chance of promotion. I, to be honest with you, from an Albion point of view, if we're worrying ourselves a little bit, we probably would want a couple of those teams at least to somehow slip up because I think they might give it a good run in the Prem next year. Anyone else, I just I don't see Watford, Bournemouth looking very impressive at all at the moment. Middlesbrough are hovering around there. I can't see Warnock keeping Middlesbrough up. if he Reading are pretty up. ordinary, I think. Reading. Really had a so good those start. sort of teams, from our point of view, we probably want to see them get promoted, wouldn't we? But from a purist point pushed. of view... I probably say I'd rather Swansea of all of them going up because of the number of loan players they have. You know, they, yeah, they have true. relied quite a lot over the last few seasons on loan players. And I think, obviously, you either have to spend a bit to keep those or you have to kind of, or you basically yeah. end up kind of um, losing some quite some key players. Like Hurahan's only on loan. Their keeper, Woodman, who's a fantastic keeper, is only mm. on loan from Newcastle. So, they, they, yeah, there's a few they'd have to kind of spend to keep or, or replace. So I, I, I probably, if forced... Go for them. I think Brentford, I don't think they've particularly got any loan players or Norwich. So, no, that's right. And the other thing is, I mean, you look at the record of teams that have gone up with loans, and um, obviously, you've got West Brom this season who they converted their mm. two main loans into, into signings, but that didn't improve the team. That just kept yeah. what they had. And you've seen them struggle as they didn't really strengthen beyond that. Villa, and they had a number of loans, didn't they? And they converted yeah. most of what they wanted again, and they spent loads of money, but they didn't spend a huge amount beyond you know, recuperating on those loans. Yeah. Um, and they only just survived and they survived through luck really with a very poor, well, not a poor decision, a, a yeah. fortune really with that. Um, goal and, done it twice it? and didn't survive yeah. first time and, and yeah. looking in danger of not surviving again, lead to the ones who actually done quite well. I think they had about five loan players. Obviously Ben White didn't go there, but they, they made three mm. of them other ones permanent. I think the keeper and Harrison's now back on loan and they, they yeah. they've done pretty well. Held, to be fair. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. So it'll be interesting to see how it shapes up. I mean, from a purist point of view, you'd like to see the the best three, the current top three, go up because yeah. they they're the best footballing sides and they they deserve to go up um, based on what I've seen. Um, similarly, in the in the division below, I mentioned my mate he's a yeah. Lincoln fan, and they they're playing good football. They deserve to go up uh, amongst others. Um, yeah. have a lot depends on Bournemouth, of, the... of course, is um, their new manager as well, which they haven't appointed yet. So who they bring in? Yeah. 
Because if they bring someone good in and they, they can get them into the top six, well, as they are currently, but keep them there and, and go up, obviously they might be a different force to the one they were under Tyndall. Yeah, I'm curious to see who comes in. I mean, Wagner's been linked, actually. Um, we mentioned Huddersfield earlier, David David Wagner, yeah. who, who's not pulled up any trees at all since he left Huddersfield, I have to say. In fact, he was spectacularly bad at Schalke. <laughs> yeah, he, and he was sacked. And he, he's been he's been linked as one of the main favourites. Harry Redknapp's in some sort of consultory um, role, isn't he? Advisory role, I think, at the moment on a temporary basis. It doesn't sound like Howe's going back, which might have been a... A possible move. I don't. I, I didn't get any vibes that he was interested in it at this stage. Um, but we'll see what happens on that score. Andy, do you keep abreast of the EFL much, or have you not had much time? You've got a lot on your plate at the moment. Haven't you? Fair amount. I, I, I have to confess. Generally, I'm either I'm either just watching my team and maybe the league they're playing in, whatever league that is. Not not predominantly the um, the Premiership. Or often um, I'm thinking about my under tens and. Uh, um, watching coaching videos and listening to the latest um, ideas around coaching, if I'm going to be honest. I mean, one of the things that struck me about last season and to a large extent seems to be the case this season from teams that are struggling in the Premiership, that, that owners don't seem to be panicking like they used to. You know, I mean, mm. you could often, after the Premier League, would have lost their managers by, by Christmas. And there seems to be a lot less of that. Um, yeah, COVID-related, you know, in some ways, I'm, I'm sure. quite pleased to see... Yeah, well, I'm quite well. Maybe, but I'm quite pleased to see. Um, I'm quite pleased to see that Norwich are back up there again because they didn't they didn't ditch their manager, you know. Whereas Watford did. I mean, and look at you know Sheffield United are sticking by their manager. We never looked like close to getting rid of Potter when some people were starting mm. to call for his head. Um, the only team that have done it are, are West Brom, and, and you know, and if they go down, what what's happened there? I mean, they're going to end up with three or four players that probably aren't going to fit the way that the new manager want to play, assuming that Allardyce doesn't stay there. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't even seem that overly bothered to me. He, he doesn't even talk about it being his team. He talks about the players, them, you know, that kind of language. So um, in that, in that yeah, sense, um, right. I think things do feel like they've changed a bit, actually. Yeah, I do wonder that's, that's why Allardyce thing. went there, to be honest. It seemed an odd mm. one at the time. I didn't think, for him, obviously, he's very proud of his never-relegated record. And it, it always seemed like West Brom were punching above their weight, even with, with Bilic in charge. So it didn't seem like the kind of team where yeah. he could go and make a big difference straight away. It seems you'd imagine he doesn't need the money particularly. And it seems strange to floor his record, as he was. Ego, he huh? must, have, must have felt he was likely to do. Yeah, yeah he's ego, there you ego, go. I suppose. I mean, the and, thing, and the yeah. other one is, yeah. and the other one, and yeah, Fulham, they've not, they've not panicked. They mm. might still go down, but you know, if they bring someone mm. out, then will they do much better? I mean, I, just, I don't think they'll sound. I wins, think Parker will stay, won't he? Yeah, yeah. And I, I like to see it. I, I'm, I'm pleased that, much as I don't like Bernie, I was pleased that Bernie did do what they did mm. and stuck with him, and they've reaped the rewards. It looks like Norwich might do, and even if they don't come up, they might stay with him for next year because they, they'll be there or thereabouts. It looks like Fulham are doing it. And I think if West Brom had kept Billich, they probably would have gone down because they would have gone down anyway. But they, they would have had a good chance, maybe a, a better, more convincing chance when they went up the season mm. they did, which was only just in terms of points. And I, and I think and, I genuinely think they'd be high, more, have more points now if they'd stay with Billich. Because barring mm. a couple of decent points at Man City Liverpool, Billich really has been pretty, uh, Allardyce has been pretty dreadful in charge, really, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, and I think they could have then spent the money next season, you know, more strategically and built around a manager that's going to, you know, hopefully he's going to be there a year or two. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, one one division, League One, that we is probably worth having a nose at uh, from time to time, particularly if Doncaster gets um, 
live on TV at any point because, of course, Taylor Richards, our man, is uh, is on loan there. Um, he scored another goal at the weekend, which we forgot to mention in our weekend review mm-hmm. pod, um, which was a good goal. Um, I can't remember which one. I think it was the second goal. Um, he, he essentially got the ball in a crowded area just around, just outside the D. He nicked it between someone's or through someone's legs, more or less, or just past them. A couple of shuffled movements and then finished right in the in the far corner. Good finish, good goal, well praised on on the various EFL channels, podcasts, and so on. That was his sixth goal of the season. He's also had three assists uh, from 24 games played. Um, so it's a 0.38 goals per game ratio. Um, I think it's um, 239 minutes per goal. 20 shots in total, so six out of 20, not bad. Um, 30% goal conversion, 60% shot accuracy are his stats. Um, he's their third top scorer behind Benjamin Whiteman, Ben Whiteman for short, who's got eight goals. He's a goal-scoring midfielder who's actually now at Preston. Mm-hmm. So Taylor Richards is likely to go up to second soon. And um, Berry, who's a good good striker for them, who's got 10 goals. So he probably won't be top scorer, but he's right up there and um, doing quite well. They've got yeah, a Donny fan James be, as well. Donny fans to be raving about him. He seems to be really, uh, really impressed yeah. and... I've seen. Yeah, I've, they, they I, like him. I'm not quite sure what his situation is contractually because I heard rumours that he's out of contract in the season, or whether we've got oh, an no. option on him, or whether we've got because we paid quite a lot of money for him when he signed. Yeah, so. I'm not sure. I, I thought he was on longer deal, but maybe not. I mean, I know they're raving about him, and my aforementioned Lincoln uh, made to seen him play obviously against his side, and I think in in other highlights packages, um, says, says he really like, loves the look mm-hmm. of him. He thinks he's a really good player. Um, yeah, they've got a guy called Rhys James playing who's got five goals, but I don't think it's the Chelsea one. Um, but he's no, so uh, yeah, good in his spare time, he scores goals for Doncaster as well. As well. <laughs> <laughs> um, if only that was allowed. Um, no, so they, they're doing well. They've also got Tyrese John Jules in their team. Do you know who that is, by the way? He's um, the son of the cat from um, Red Dwarf, who was also in Death in Paradise at one point. The most dangerous tropical island in the world, of course, San Marie. Um, but um, yeah, Tyrese John Jewell, son of the actor, the cat from Red Dwarf. Um, I think it's the son. I don't think it's pretty sure it's not the grandson. He's not that old, is he? Um, but he's got three goals as well, and two assists. Uh, but they've got they play a good brand of football, Doncaster, and it is about having the right fit, isn't it, for the for the clubs and. He's certainly going to benefit from that, I think. Yeah. Well, I did say we were moving up on a feel-good factor, weren't we, as we went towards the end of the pod? And we are going to do so by mentioning the women's team. We we talked on the last pod about their amazing 2-1 win away at Chelsea after their amazingly bad results against Bristol. Um, they, they won 2-1 at Chelsea. They followed it up with a 1-0 win last night in um, in the league again um, against West Ham, which puts them firmly in mid-table and looking pretty uh, sitting pretty now, I think, for avoiding relegation worries. Um, good, good news, guys. Yeah, really good. Yeah, really positive because it was looking yeah quite bad after that hammering by City and then the, the defeat to Bristol City as well. Um, but yeah, I noticed the other day Bristol City I think have got a goal difference this season of minus forty or something. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty hefty. Pretty yeah. impressive that to get that. I mean, you've got to be hammered quite a few times, haven't you? <laughs> Especially when you've got a three-nil winner yeah. set against that as well now, <laughs> but yeah, they've they've done um, they've done well there the, the, the girls team. So uh, so fair play to them, and long may it continue. Um, they're obviously part of the the overall plan for Tony is to is to have them established in there, and we've we've got them up there. We are sort of semi-established, aren't we? In terms of we've been up there for a good two or three years now, uh, but it's about keeping it longer term, and um, that's, uh, it's good to see. Um, any other 
items of news from the general world of football, no. guys? Okay, well, I think just a quick look at the Villa game then, really. We've got the chance to do, I think, our first double of the season. We got the 2-1 win, didn't we, at Villa Park earlier in the season. Um, uh, are we going to do the double? Put simply, we've got this Saturday night, isn't it, the game? Um, I, I fancy our chances. I think we can do it. The only problem is it's at home, isn't it? <laughs> Andy, what do you reckon? Yeah, you I'm reckon going. Get... I'm, I'm actually going for a draw. We might, we might yeah. have more chance of winning. It's a safe bet, keep, isn't it? <laughs> if we can keep, uh, yeah, if we can keep Greedish quiet, then maybe we'll win. But I'm going for a draw. Um, I think Barkley's back, isn't he? Now I don't think he played against us in the first team. You know, he brings quite a lot of creativity to the team, and um, I like McGinn as well. Um, so um, yeah, I think I think a draw for me. Yeah. Well, we've we've recently kept Salah quiet, and we've recently kept Vardy quiet. Two of our nemeses. Yeah. Um, can we do it again? Uh, I think um, just to add, I was just going to add that yeah, go on, go on, Potter was saying that Webster was doubtful as well. Yeah, yeah. Just not, just yeah. on Barkley, oh, really? I think he I think he got his injury against us. I think didn't he? He went off in the first five minutes. Oh, I think okay. he did his hamstring. Did he? So in, in essence, he didn't play against us. But the injury right. kept him out for about six weeks. I think was was against us. He kind of took a corner and then kind of like kind of tried to get him to a tackle and kind of tweaked it, also tweaked his hamstring or something or. Yeah. Um, oh, so okay, yeah, I yeah. think they're not quite the same without us, without them, without obviously him, or obviously if Greenwich was out as well. But yeah, with those two, we're we're gonna have to defend well with those two, and Watkins as well. Obviously, he's had a very good season. Um, but I do think they're, you know, they're not that great at the back. Although they've got Mings, um, they do rely quite a lot on Martinez, who's obviously a really good keeper. And you know, we've just got to take our chances. There's so many games we've said this season, we've got to take our chances if we get them. You know, we can't afford to to miss chances because there's a fair chance they'll score. Um, so we'll probably need at least two goals to win it and to, you know, we don't do getting second goal very well. We haven't got a second goal since that in the league, since that Wolves game, I don't think at the start of, yeah. uh, start of January. Again, of course, last night was again, a low scorer for us. We didn't yeah. score any. Um, yeah, last, so last night I don't mind so much because we've got young, hmm. a young striker and an inexperienced English football striker. I, I can live with that. I can give Zakiri and Tower game, a few games to get into it. It's, it's our, you know, our regular strikers that are front three. And I don't think we'll be able to get away with what we've been doing recently, getting getting a result with one goal. I think we'll need more than one. Whether we can get that, I don't know. I, yeah, I do think I guess... that if, you know, if we lose this, we've got obviously two more winnable games coming up, but we need to then get those results because well, otherwise we could drop back into trouble if we don't get you know, the Palace and West Brom games are both ones we'd expect to get something from, I'd say, overall. Yeah, and I guess... Um... It depends on Welbeck whether he's fit. Presumably, is because he was on the bench for the last one. Yeah. But, um, but I wonder if Sakiri gets some time in this match as well. Possibly as probably as a sub, but if if at all. But I'd certainly bring him on over Tal now, given what happened yesterday and what I've yeah, seen. Yeah, he's, he's earned the chance, hasn't he? I, I'd say he's above him in the in the order of you know, order of things. I think. Um, I mean, I mean, I think probably the front three will be Malpe, McAllister and Trossard, whatever. And my only, I think the team pretty much picks itself. The only question mark is, A, is Webster fit? And if not, who just burn presumably goes back to centre-back and who plays left wing-back probably at that point? Mm. And then does Grosh play again because he's played four games in a row and not missed a minute? Or uh, is he is he able to do a fifth game in a space of less than two weeks effectively? Or or is he going to need someone else alongside him, like or someone else instead, like Lalana maybe from the start? Or, or Alzate in midfield if he's not playing wing-back to come in? And other than that, I would say the team pretty much picks itself probably. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And um, in terms of um, top scorers, obviously Neil Morpay's top with seven goals 
um, so far this season. Interestingly, Alexis McAllister, Solly Marsh and Lewis Dunk all on three. I wonder if Lewis can get himself into second position overall on the, um, on the, in the standings with another goal. He seems to be in the zone, doesn't he? He got the goal in the previous league game. Um, can he do it again? That would be, that'd be nice to see, wouldn't it? Well, um, the head-to-head record at the moment is we've won five, drawn eight, and Villa have won 13. So we've got some redressing of the balance to do here, haven't we? We've, we started as we mean to go on um, earlier in the season. Can we can we get the result? I'm, I'm get, getting most of the results more or less right. I thought we'd lose to Leicester. I did get the Liverpool result wrong. You'll be unsurprised to hear. Um, but I've got most of the other predictions right. I'm actually going to predict us to complete the double and get the win in the match of the weekend. Um, possibly the same scoreline, actually, 2-1. But um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. On that note, guys, that, that runs, wraps it up for this episode of The Pod. Um, as I said earlier, if you can rate us, that'd be great. Five stars, Apple, etc. Um, if you want to contact the show, it's um, on Twitter at Brighton Rock Pod. You can email us, brightonrockpodcast at gmail.com. And um, in the meantime, guys, Andy, thank you very much for joining us as always. You're welcome. Pleasure to have you on. And Peter, stand or fall? Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.